Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore and our favorite video games and other games. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my stupendous uh, servant of the four co-hosts with me today, Matt Ross. How are you doing today, Matt? Monkeys. It is indeed. Monkeys are a thing. In 40K, they're called Jokero. They're uh, actually an intelligent species, mostly like orangutans, though. But we're going to talk about that later on. Don't you worry, folks. Uh, today, we're going to be answering questions that you have sent in. Uh, if you have questions for this podcast or any of the other podcasts, why don't you go ahead and send them in to us? You can send them in at podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Specify what show it's for, uh, and you can go ahead and ask basically whatever you want. And if we uh, we can use it, we will. And if not, well, then we won't. Uh, if you are a Patreon supporter, as a way of saying thank you, we have a special channel set aside, Patreon Q and podcast questions, where a lot of our questions this week actually have come from. Uh, we tend to look there first as a way of saying thank you. And if you can't uh, support us on Patreon, again, we understand. Uh, and if you don't do the email thing, you can go ahead and hit the Q&A podcast questions channel on Discord. And again, just specify what uh, what, what podcast they're for. And uh, we'll go ahead and, you know, otherwise we have to, to wrestle and, and duke it out. And it's far too warm for that here. So Matt's just going to win by default. Also, he's got Plus, a lot of rights. I was actually a championship wrestler in high school. That's that's fair. And then the only wrestling I have is uh, the professional wrestling uh, experience kind, which is very athletic, but not quite the same thing. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go ahead and yeah, get he'll to- be going for a chair or trying to jump down from a table on top of me and I'll get him in a, like a like half half Nelson. And he'll be like, oh, God, I can't, you know, I can't call upon Hulkamania to help me with this because because that guy's kind of a dick. Yep. He well, is, by the way. He's an absolute dick. He is. He absolutely is. We're not going to talk about Hulk today. We're going to talk about some questions that you sent in. Our first question comes from Talvi. Uh, question for Lorewatch. You mentioned Catherine. Wait, wait, Pro- hold on. What? Talvi. Talvi. Okay. I thought you said Halsey. No. It's like the singer? <laughs> <laughs> like, man, I think you could have sold with that one, dude. <laughs> oh, yeah, and Halsey. Uh, later on, we get one from, from Kesha. It's not a big deal. I mean, if Vin Diesel wants to send one in, I know he plays WoW. Anyway, uh, so from Talvi, uh, you mentioned Catherine Proudmore in the Mothers episode, which was amazing, by the way. Thank you. Uh, was she the first representation of older women in WoW, or have there been others? Well, let's de- let's define terms here. Uh, what do you mean by older woman? Because, I mean, Great Mother Gaia. <sighs> yeah, I was going to say Great Mother Gaia, I think, was... Magatha Grimtotem is the Elder Crone. You don't get named Elder Crone when you're five. She's much older. She's about she's about as old as Cairn. You know they were peers. So yeah, even though Magatha. she doesn't necessarily look like the typical old torn crone. No, but she she just she is. Even if she doesn't look particularly old, mm-hmm. she's old. Um, 
I was thinking about it in terms of other characters. I mean, obviously, you know, it's kind of doesn't work for elves. Like, you know, uh, technically speaking, like Taronda's 10,000, but you know, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. You know, the elves don't seem to have that kind of distinction. Um, but I mean, just along humans, I mean, if you, if you really want to talk about humans, there's Admiral Jess Tareth, who, while again, doesn't look particularly old, is at least in variance generation. Um, at this point, Jane is in her forties. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're going for like an actual, uh, someone who is in their sixties or above, uh, like I said, great mother, Gaia, Magatha Grim Totem, um, I'm trying to think of any particular trolls, but none come to mind. Um, dwarves, we don't really have. Like the oldest dwarf woman we have is is Moira, who is only a little older than than Anduin. Mm-hmm. Um, so that doesn't work. The the problem though too is a lot of um, elderly matronly characters in WoW also fall into like eternal categories, if that makes sense. So like you have a lot of races that don't necessarily show age the same way that a human female would. Because their lifespans are, are much much longer. Um, I mean, well, like Alexstrasza. I, mean, I was just going to say with the expansion we're going into. Alexstrasza, any of the elves. I mean, Ysera, for that matter. Yeah, there's there's a lot of of uh, so I think maybe framing it in the terms of matronly characters and not necessarily by age. Because um, I mean, Taronda falls into that category as well. She has been around for a very long time. She is definitely a matronly character as far as uh, NPCs go. Um, believe it or not, I would actually put Queen Azara kind of in that role as well. Maybe mm. not the best mother, uh, maybe like the mother from the movie Mommy Dearest, but, uh, she definitely at one point, you know, she cares for her people and she definitely is in that sort of older category, but she's not that same loving mother. And to be fair, Catherine Proudmore at, while she was, was doing the hard choices and, and until much later in the expansion, probably midway through, there was no reconciliation. See, I, I gotta say, I don't think it works for Ashara in much the same way. I wouldn't think it would work to say that, like, um, that Lane Rin was, was fatherly to his people. He ruled his people. Sure. He led his people. You can care about your people, lead them and rule them without being quote unquote matronly. Mm-hmm, and I absolutely mm-hmm. do not think that works for Ashara. She is Fair. not matronly. Fair enough. Um, even even back when the Sundering was happening, she wasn't that kind of leader. Uh, she was very selfish for one thing, but another thing is just just even when she was thinking about her people and trying to save them, it it wasn't that kind of behavior. And I would feel I just do not feel that that sure. is an appropriate and word for her. Absolutely, absolutely fair. Um, another race that that potentially has. Uh, characters that might fall into that category uh, that definitely don't show their age quite so much would be the Draenei. Uh Velen being a very staunch ex- like exception to that rule with his uh, long flowing white hairs and, and beard. Yeah, but I mean, is, does a long hair and does long white hair and a beard necessarily mean shows his age? No, is very, very old and he is showing no signs of slowing down. Sure, but I'm just saying, um, like, stereotypical, like, I'm just saying, like, markers of age because the, the question isn't old. The question is, you know, experienced or seasoned or mother. Older woman right? is literally, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. That's what they said. I, I don't, I mean, the problem with the Drenai is that, you know, there are not a ton of leadership female characters uh in the regular draenei the mm-hmm. lightforged have more um but yeah it's it's i'd say that there the, the answer to your question is yes there have been others for absolute sure yeah uh and maybe maybe they could stand with highlighting them some more and maybe maybe we'll get a little bit of that with dragon flight i don't know since we're going to be mostly on the dragon isles but maybe there might be some references to the ideas of of family and the importance of uh, the sort of matriarchal uh, hierarchy, because again, the dragons were led by Alex Straza. So maybe we'll get some more about that, but there definitely has been uh, several, at least nods or mentions uh, to NPCs that would possibly fit that rule up. Just not as much as we would like. All right. Our next question comes from mused moose. Uh, Do you think we'll see a resurgence of the black dragon flight in the next expansion? If there's anything in the world we might find a stash of black dragon eggs, it's the Dragon Isles. And Rathian knows how to purify old god corruption, so it seems possible we could see the flight restored. We talked about this a little bit uh, last week, week before, somewhere in that range. I think there is a possibility that we would start seeing maybe the first steps of it. 
it's not going to be instantaneous overnight, right? Like it's not going to be, by the way, here's this ancient cavern filled with thousands of black dragon eggs that have been uh, in stasis since the corruption first started. But it also isn't outside of the realm of possibilities that Neltharion would have had a clutch of eggs maybe hidden away somewhere and locked into some form of vault or or time stasis or something along those lines. I mean, he helped create the Drakthir. He helped create the Draconoids. Uh, there were definitely experimentation going on. And this is before the falling out with the rest of the Dragonflight. It's entirely possible he could have gone to, I don't know, the blue or the uh, the gold dragon flight and been like, hey, or bronze dragon flight, excuse me, uh, and go, hey, uh, so you do the magic thing, you do the time thing, can y'all help me? I need to make this like infinite, like possible, infinity possible preser- preservation. Uh, otherwise, we can't do the things we were planning on doing. So, I mean, that's just my my thought. I think it's possible. What do you think, Matt? Um, there's a cavern full of black dragon eggs uh, in the end of the starting zone for the drag there. Well, there you go. I, I'm lying. That was a complete lie. Okay, good because I was I hadn't gotten there yet. <laughs> no, I do think that it is quite possible. In fact, I think it's even possible that we're going to come up with somebody better than Rathion to actually lead the Black Dragon flight. My money's still on uh, Ebonhorn. I think it's going to be somebody we don't know. It's just my just a hunch, just a feeling I have. But I think there will be a new contender for leader of the Black Dragon flight who isn't uh, Abyssian, who isn't. Sibelian, who isn't Rathion, someone we've not seen before or have not seen in a long time, who is going to step up. And possibly that person is on the Dragon Isles right now. That's that's as far as I'm going to go. It's based on some stuff I've been seeing. But I definitely think there is a good chance that we'll get some form of the Black Dragon flight in some fashion. Maybe not like, okay, now we've got like all these dragons again and we're a full-fledged flight, but something more... Something more akin to like, okay, we're going to rebuild now. We have a chance. We've got a clutch. We're going to see what we can do sort of thing. Because one of the things the Black Dragonflight is painfully short of right now is women. Mm -hmm. There are no currently remaining female Black Dragons. At least Uh, not not that we know of that are active. They've all been necrotized or killed, right? Yeah. And so I think there'd be a good possibility of there being one or two like if, if I, let me put it this way. If it turned out, I'm not saying this is the plot. I have not dug into it enough to know, but if it turned out that at some point Neltharion realized I'm in trouble, this is, I, I am, I'm losing control of my faculties. I'm, there's something wrong with the earth and it's corrupting me. He was the kind of guy who would come up with countermeasures. Yeah. He was a planner, Just, a plotter, you know, and one of the things he might have done like we've, we've seen that he had a pretty strong family connection until he snapped and went, you know, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs and got, you know, hurt his wife so bad that she wanted nothing to do with him. Um, he might've come up with a plan to one of his, you know, remaining daughters who we haven't seen yet might've been asked to, to behave as broodmother and then get put away into stasis because we know that there was some kind of stasis field here. And we know that we're going to be going to Notharius, which is Notharian's laboratory. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying that's what will happen. I have no knowledge of what will happen. I'm just saying it would not surprise me if it's, there was something in Netharius that led to the possible resurrection of the of the Black Dragonflight. That's yeah, it, all I'm saying. It, it it would be hard for me to believe that we wouldn't, right? Like it, it's that would be a hard sell for me that that there wasn't a contingency plan or there wasn't something specifically for what happened because of everything you just listed, right? Uh, and the fact that we're going to a place that's been cut off from the world for what, 10,000 years at this point. Yes. Yeah. So it's 10,000 years. It's been cut off. Everything's been in sort of like this holding pattern. Um, it's, it's an interesting place. Um, I'm not going to ruin too much about it, uh, because that would be rude. Um, but it's, there's some interesting story hooks and some interesting early questing that has been available to people in the alpha. Um, there's going to be, multitudes of of threads to pull on here and i can't believe that that wouldn't be one of them uh especially like you mentioned we're gonna we know for a fact they've been very open about this that we're gonna be going to his laboratory i would be very surprised if we don't see like tons of experimentations and tons of things that you know maybe we start to see the bit where he started to turn or maybe we start to see that bit where he started to kind of like hear the old god whispers 
for all we know, it could be something similar to what happened with uh, Serenite, right? You had this giant set of like old god blood everything that was being constructed, Serenite, that was worming its way into the thoughts of every anybody who who had it and or had access to it or touched it. Um, you have this influence that was sort of spread throughout there. What if he found some of that like old god bits? What if that's what he was experimenting with? Or what if he, you know, started kind of maybe messing around with forces that he he wasn't supposed to? We don't know, right? We know that the Titans definitely did. Uh, otherwise, we wouldn't have had Gahun. So, I don't know. We're going to get a whole lot of interesting stuff around the Black Dragon flight. And I'm, I, for one, am absolutely here for it. All right. Uh, so, are anything else you want to add to that one? No, I said pretty much what I wanted to. And now for another next set of questions. We joked about this and asked if anybody wanted to, to talk about... Uh, games like Warhammer or, or, you know, Warhammer 40K. And y'all, uh, y'all definitely been asking questions. <laughs> so this one comes from Koraz. Uh, I'm playing through Warhammer Chaos Gate, uh, Demon Hunter. And there is something that confused me. Inquisitor Vakir said that she didn't know that the Grey Knights were even real. Aren't the Knights agents of the Inquisition? I thought they were like a secret police that act in a very specific situation on behalf of the Inquisitors. Is it also true in the Death Watch? There's a there's another secret chapter even for the Inquisition. Yes. So Grey Knights, for for those of you that haven't that don't know about it, were constructed from loyalist uh, gene seed from Space Marines that decided that they didn't want to go along with the rest of their chapters during the the Great Heresy uh, when they were rebelling. So we're talking like the the Lunar Wolves or what became the Sons of Horus. Uh, word bearers, things like that. There were people that stayed loyal to the Empire of Man. Um, they were brought together by Malchior, who is supposed to be the, or Malkador, who is one of the universe's greatest psychers, uh, to become essentially exact this chaos hunting, demon hunting, secret police. The Inquisition came much, much later. The Grey Knights existed first. And the Grey Knights were, for lack of a better term, like you said, secret police. They're, they're ghosts of the Imperium. They are not well known. Some Inquisitors do know them. Some Inquisitors can call upon them, but they're usually very, very high up and usually only in the direst of circumstances where an Inquisitor might have a group of like Arbites, which are like regular guys in, in armor, or maybe be able to commandeer an entire uh, regiment of Astra Militarum, which are like the rank and file military of the universe to go to like a hive world or something to stamp out or investigate uh, the taint of chaos or the touch of the warp. Only the higher up ones would call in the demon hunters of the gray knights. And only they would be called in for something like uh, a spaceship that was lost thousands of years ago in the eye of terror. And the, that went to this other realm called the warp magically showed back up in real space. uh, And it looks like it might have eyes on the outside of it that are blinking. This seems like something normal humans shouldn't touch. Then everybody would be told to stay away from it. Grey Knights would come in, and they would take care of it, and then they would leave. Uh, and if they wouldn't take care of it, they would die trying, but again, it wouldn't be broadcast. Uh, the idea is also that these knights are not just super secret police, they're also super powerful psychers that are able to combat the powers of the warp using the powers of their mind, or essentially what is science fiction magic at this point. Um yeah, they're they're really really secretive, and even other Space Marine chapters don't necessarily know they exist. And generally speaking, if another chapter like interacts with them at all, uh, and this would be something that you'd get in later on in Chaos Gate, uh, as well as maybe uh, Martyr, if another chapter interacts with them, usually there's an oath of secrecy, uh, which means they cannot and will not uh, speak of them to anybody else. They're not allowed to. Uh, And the interesting thing, or I guess I should say the dark thing about it is it's a very dogmatic society as far as the setting goes. So when you make an oath, when you make uh, one of those, like basically a promise and litany to the faith of the, the Imperium of man, you don't go back on it because if you do, it's declared heresy and the great Knights have like leeway to do things like wipe out entire space Marine chapters uh, call exterminatus on a planet where they can just basically wipe off all life from it. Demon hunters, gray knights are scary. Death watch is a little bit different. Um, before, well, before I move on to that, Matt, you, you've 
actually know a bit about like Warhammer lore. Do you have any thoughts on Grey Knights? Well, it's you mentioned briefly the Horus Heresy. Uh, the reason the Grey Knights were necessary was because initially the Space Marines were the first, I don't know how to put it, they were the first attempt by the Emperor of Man to unite humanity into a fighting force. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for a while it looked like it was working great. And then it seemed it seemed very possible that the, you know he had come up with his ultimate weapon against the uh, beings that live. Well, that's a really a complicated thing. But the, the Chaos Gods, we'll call them. They live inside the warp. They're they're the thing that humanity was using to spread throughout the cosmos was also its greatest threat. The source of all magic, the source of uh, faster yeah. than light travel, all of that was all the psychic was powers. This extra realm, yeah. Everything the psychers can do comes from it. And <clears throat> it looked for a while that you know the uh, space marines were the ultimate fighting force, and they would be capable of standing against any threat. But they weren't capable of standing against was corruption from within. Mm-hmm. And Horus, it's very. We don't have an entire show to talk about Horus, but Horus was like the others. They were the the various figures who were like essentially gene creations of the Emperor of Man himself, who predates modern society, not just Warhammer 40k society. He predates modern society. He goes back to the Stone Age. Mm-hmm. Like he's been living amongst humanity, like the if Emperor. in the yeah the Emperor, uh, also known as the the first man. He calls himself sometimes. Um, he was a, a very powerful psyker who existed before Homo sapiens sapiens. And he's also like, the culmination of multiple uh, beings that decided he's is what they call a perpetual, which means technically yeah. he's not supposed to be able to die. And um, more importantly, when it, when he does die, it just there's multiple people in him. Yeah. Like he isn't one person. He, he literally like contains a multitudes. It's a bunch of the, yeah. the, the proto proto human uh, shamans essentially is what they were. Yeah, that, that touched the warp before humanity had, like, basically was really good at fire yet. And, co- and, and coalesced themselves into a single being. Yeah, so all of that's, this is a lot of backdrop to get to the point, which is that when Horus was created, he was created as a clone of the Emperor. Mm-hmm. But unlike the other ones that were created that were loyal to the Emperor, eventually Horus felt that the Emperor was stagnating humanity. Well, it's a little more complicated than that. It's more complicated, now. but we don't have time. Uh, but the point being... Horus turned against the emperor uh, and basically made a deal with the, with the gods of chaos, the chaos gods. And as a result, the emperor was like, I, my, my people will, some of my people are turning like the emperor of man could foresee that some of the space Mm -hmm. Marines would turn. They would follow Horus because Horus was offering them, you know, the emperor of man understands how repressive his regime is and his regime is that repressive because he believes it is necessary to defeat chaos specifically because, because he wants he, to keep humans from being consumed by chaos is what yeah, it boils down and to he doesn't he doesn't do it cuz he likes it he does it because he believes it is the only way and that keep in mind the current emperor is not physically capable of of ruling his empire himself mm-hmm. but that's another really long story but basically when horus came to earth like horus like took a he basically created a rebellion, began defeating the uh, regular forces of the, of the emperor, and, and using, led his yeah. and using the powers of the warp to split humanity so that the loyalist chapters. It was a, it was essentially a space civil war that happened. There was there were twenty chapters of space marines, eighteen surviving at this point, and it was split nine and nine. So there were yeah. nine chapters that were loyal to the emperor, and nine chapters that had fallen under the sway of chaos. Maybe not even necessarily understanding that they were what they were doing. Yeah, many of them were just simply loyal to Horus because he had always been their leader. He had been or first their brother. among those. Yeah, like, he'd been first among the Space Marines. He was like, in a way, it's like Lucifer in heaven, where Lucifer is the first among equals. Very much like, that. Even, yeah. Even other people who are like, you know, uh, maybe I could question him, but he's Horus, and the Emperor had become very distant, and so. When the the Grey Knights were created, they were a last ditch move. This was he went he turned. Joe already told you the story about how he you know he turned to Sigiliath and said, "Create for me this this uncorruptible force." Mm-hmm. Um, the whole point of the Grey Knights is that they are secret and that they are uncorruptible. Which is they why know- which is why it's comprised of people like uh, Reviel Arvida, which was one of the thousand sons that remained loyal to the Emperor, who actually came to Earth to try to warn the emperor of what was happening with his chapter and what the, the, the war master Horus was doing at the time. Tylos Rubio, who was an ultramarine that was censured 
by the Ultramarines for dis- disobeying orders, essentially straight up to saying, this is wrong. I'm not doing it. Uh, and then wind up becoming essentially a prisoner that was then caught up and sent back to, in this case, uh, the Malkador's retreat on Saturn. Uh, you had Severian, who was from the Luna Wolves, which was Horus's uh, legion that he was in charge of. They were originally the Luna Wolves, became the Sons of Horus as they fell to chaos. Uh, Vardas Ison, who was a blood angel, who uh, was back on back in the Earth or solar segmentum before the rest of his chapter was, because the rest of his chapter was busy off fighting forces of chaos uh, and trying to not become corrupted. Uh, there were also yeah. representatives oh, oh, hold from. On, hold sorry. On. Right, we are the point being to get back to your actual question about why he should wouldn't know this. Imagine if a guy showed up and said, "Hi, I'm Lancelot. Yeah, I'm here to help you. I'm one of the Knights of the Round Table." That's what that's like. Yeah. To the, to to the people of the 40k in the time period that the games are happening, this is this is like this is like if a if Thor Odinson stepped out of a hole somewhere and said, "Hi, I've got a magic hammer and I'm here to kill things for you." It, it is that big a deal. So. I don't think they're real. Most people don't think they're real that have heard of them. Yep. Because they're legends. They're they're it's the closest thing you're going to get to talking to a god. Yeah, more or less. You know? So, yeah, she, she doesn't people don't think they're real. Of course people don't think they're real. They're the idea that they would be real is insane, which is exactly what they're counting on. Absolutely. The Grey Knights use that mystery because the daemons are People, you know, you look at the chaos gods like Corn or what have you. He's a nice guy, you know, messages me every so often. Um, but you look at them and you hear, you know, blood for the blood gods, skulls for the skull throne type stuff. But they're also clever and they know how to break you. They know how to break people. They know how to do it without you realizing they're breaking you. That's that's the insidious thing about it. It's like, but if you're if you hide yourself, if you're not someone people know. There's nothing they can be offered to you because nobody knows you to offer it. Yep. More or less. They're they're ghost signatures in the warp. Like that's that's the other thing that and before we answer the other part of this question, this is a very complicated universe with 30 years of lore uh, at this point. But the idea is that each individual that exists in the universe casts a sort of impression upon the warp. Uh, The warp reacts to feelings and thoughts and things like that. So if this was real you and I, when we felt fear or passion or, or anger would cause ripples in the warp that would let somebody know we are there. The Grey Knights don't do that. They don't have a signature. They are powerful psychers, but their entire life is hiding that signature so that when they do show up, it's a surprise. And that is something that is actually explored in Chaos Gate Demon Hunter. If you haven't gotten there yet, it will come up. Um, it's but that's why they can be those ghosts. That's why they can be so secret. And to Matt's point, how they hide themselves. Now, the two other parts. Death are, Watch. Yeah. You asked uh, about Death Watch. Yeah. Death Watch is uh, completely different. Death Watch yeah, is they're much, much newer for one thing. They're much newer, but they're also much more well known. And because they are comprised of veteran space Marines that serve what's called the Ordo Xenos. Um, while the Grey Knights deal with esoteric threats, uh, basically to the faith and, and spirituality of humanity, i.e. fighting demons, the Death Watch is comprised of veterans from every Space Marine chapter that exists, literally all of them now, uh, and ones that are specifically tasked with fighting very specific warfare against Xenos threats. Now, Xenos, in this particular case, uh, we're talking like Tyranids, we're talking like uh, Orcs, yeah. uh, Necrons. Non-humans, basically. Non-humans, essentially. Um, and they are part of the Inquisition, actually. Um, but they're from the chamber militant, so they are well-known. And this is one of the things where a lot of them are just conscripted. So an Inquisitor will show up to a chapter, let's say the Dark Angels, and say, I need you, you, and you, you're coming with me to join Death Watch. And they can't say no. Or they'll go to, you know, take a, a, a ship around, gather all these folks up, get them into combat units, which are very diverse and basically made for essentially guerrilla warfare because they're made to be, like... In the game setting, units are comprised of five to ten models, usually, that work in sort of like squad-based combat. The actual group of Death Watch, however, is made up of, let's say, five individuals that all have very specific tasks or strengths that they're work that they're good at 
that are launched behind enemy lines to go and do their task, not necessarily work as a whole, uh, but to work as part of that whole where they're doing one thing like one's a demolition expert or one is a xenobiologist that understands Tyranids uh, or one actually speaks orc um, like and can understand and decipher those things. Or one is a uh, master psyker that can combat against, uh, you know, the, the, the magics of the, of the, uh, the Necrons of the Cthune or Catan, excuse me. Yeah, the Catan, yeah. Yeah, they, they are very well known. And then when they are done with their their service to the Order Xenos, they go back to their home chapter. It's not a permanent assignment. Um, it is yeah, think off- of it this way. Death Watch units are purpose-built. Yes. They are, it's like a suicide squad. Uh, it's literally like the suicide squad from the comics. Uh, except that they're not, they're not put bombs aren't put in their heads or anything, but it's very much a, you go and you get the personnel you need for this specific task. You assemble them uh, from the moment you are put into this task, you're in death watch, which means among other things, you know, you're considered dead. Yeah. That's why they call it the long vigil. Yeah. Your service in that unit is called the long vigil. Um, and also if you are familiar with the game universe at all, you've probably heard of the game kill team. Kill Team was actually a term that was uh, designed and assigned to squads for Death Watch. Those are kill teams. They're not squads. So it's it's hyper, hyper individualistic. I'm sorry. I'm going to stop talking for a little bit and let you go on about it a little. <laughs> My point is just that's the uh, the nature of Death Watch is it's purpose built. You're essentially considered expendable. You, In fact, you are already expended. You're essentially gone. Um, if you complete the mission, come back alive you're sent back to your chapters and you don't talk about it mm-hmm. and that's it. That's death watch there. So there isn't, you can't target death watch. You can't decide we're going to wipe out death watch. Death watch doesn't exist until it's needed. And this is actually so, a, this is actually a carryover to before during the dark ages, uh, or I shouldn't even say the dark ages uh, during the time of the Horus heresy, the dark angels used to do something similar, which is where the idea came from. And they called it the death wing. It was where veterans from all of the various specialty uh, divisions that they had, whether it was Raven wing or whether it was, um, you know, any of the other chapters, they had a lot of them. Uh, they would pull them together into specialized suicide squads uh, to go and handle certain threats. And they would remove from their squads. They were still dark angels, but they were hyper-specific. And that's when death watch years later, uh, in the current setting, adopted that mentality um, and sort of embraced it and did it. There's one other part to your question that I think is actually interesting and and, and I want to go into a little bit. Uh, you asked if there's another secret chapter, even for the Inquisition. It's not necessarily a secret chapter, but there is another militant section of the Inquisition. In specifically, uh, it's the uh, Imperium of Man and the Church uh, that that it it has, known as the Ecclesiarchy. Uh, it is the Adeptus Sororitas, or the Sisters of Battle. Um, there was a decree a long time ago when there was potential for a second civil war that the church could have no man standing in an army. And so, well, the nuns at the point, and I'm using the term broadly, um, the, the the women of the faith of the church took up arms and essentially became akin to space marines. Um, not genetically altered, however... Uh, they are essentially the shield of faith that is seen by everybody else, very much like how the Grey Knights are the shield of faith in the background. The Adeptus Sororitas will go to you know planets or fight against chaos openly using acts of faith uh, that they that they claim is drawn from the actual belief in the Emperor themselves uh, to the point where they actually can do things like have miracles occur to them. This could be a wound that would have completely decimated a normal human being gets glanced off, not because the armor was resilient. The armor may have a hole punched into it, but they've been made whole again by the light of the emperor. They actually have somebody in their order who has been deigned a saint, Saint Celestine, who has actually died and come back and then died again and came back. Lather, rinse, repeat. She dies and comes back. They are the other section that people forget is from the Order's militant that is actually tied to, in that same way, to the Inquisition. Uh, It's called the Ordo Hereticus, or Heretics, essentially. They go and they're usually sent to dispatch maybe more demonic-ish, but maybe not full-blown infestation 
uh, cases of heresy or planetary disruption. Uh, but they're one of the more fascinating fanatical divisions uh, in the universe. I could probably talk about them for hours uh, simply because it is one of my favorite factions and has been for a very long time. Um, but yeah, it's they're they're the other branch of the Inquisition, and I'm using air quotes with that one. Uh, Matt, do you have anything to say about the Adeptus Sororitas? I was actually thinking about um, the, uh, I'm trying to think of the way to put this. The relationship they have is directly to the Emperor. Yes. Like, technically speaking, they're not actually part of the Inquisition or the, uh, the, the they're not, they're not considered uh, members of the Space Marines or the entire, the entire Empire of Man, the Imperium military, none of it. They stand directly next to it all. They're, In the same way that the, like the, uh, uh, like the, Swiss the, custodes, the custodes do. Yeah, it's like the Swiss Guard for the Pope. Those They have pole arms and they wander around and people think they're cute. Uh, those guys are heavily combat trained. Mm-hmm. They've all got access to top-of-the-line military equipment. You do not want to try to rush the Pope with the Swiss Guard around because they will mow you the freak down. That's It's similar to that. These, these women are... A, they're not just capable of the miracles and all that, which we could be psycher stuff. We, they, it's actually kind of unclear very much uh, in unclear. the game. They don't, they don't talk about it much, but just on sheer combat prowess, they are amongst the, the elite of the elite. They are the, the, some of the most highly trained deadly people in, in the entire setting. Uh, I, there's one, I think, remember there's one example of one of them by herself, uh, taking down an entire orc wog. Yeah. Uh, just walking through and just mowing them down with her bolter and she died, but she killed like an entire orc wog is a lot of orcs. Um, I can't, I don't remember exactly how many it is. Joe, you'd know, right? Uh, a wog is an innumerable number of them. We're talking like more than, and like more than 10,000 orcs is usually considered It's essentially a like, a, it's like an orc battle force. It's like, it's like if you sent the, an expeditionary army, mm-hmm. it's, that's what a wog is to the orcs, except it's not, it's not anything as coherent as an army. It's just, ah, there's a real lot of orcs over there. Uh, but she, yeah, they, one sister of battle managed to stop an entire orc wog. Yeah. And it was the order of the valorous heart and the ebon chalice at which are orders within them. They're, they're essentially specialty groups had come together to a fight. It was some folks will think this is funny, but I think this is a deliberate nod to Warcraft. It was war boss, black ax, <laughs> uh, who looked very much like, like war chief black hand, just throwing it out there. Um, but yeah, it's it was pretty. I that's what I like about it is like they're just technically humans. That yeah, they don't have if they have powers, they're not. It's not anything that anyone can define. It's just like what is it? You know, fear, surprise, and a fanatical devotion. It's like they have they've got that. Mm-hmm. That's what the sisters have, um, and they're the most egalitarian of any of these uh, Warhammer 40k groups. Mm-hmm. All you have to do to join the sisters of battle is be a woman. Be and devout. believe and believe in the emperor. Yep. And they'll find something for you to do. Not yep. every sister of battle is a sister of battle, but uh, if you're in that order, they will find something for you to do. Um, they will, they, they waste nothing. They don't, they, they don't play games and they don't, they don't have to prove anything. They, they know that they're the most loyal, the most devoted. It's, it's in them. That's it's inborn. The, the sisters of battle are a fascinating group. Um, I honestly, Warhammer 40k is an incredibly dark and dystopian future. Yes, it is grim uh, dark for it, a reason. And in it, the Sisters of Battle are simultaneously the most hopeful and yet the most despair causing of any group because they're the ones who have talked themselves into believing to, in it to the, to the level where one of them will step out into their certain death with a song in her heart, knowing that she's doing the best she can for humanity as a whole. In What's interesting yeah. to me too is when when Matt says that they are the sim- like also a symbol of hope, he's not wrong. Like in a lot of the stories, they go forth and they are also on missions of mercy and compassion. Yes, they are fierce fighters, um, but unlike the most Space Marine chapters, most Space Marines are referred to as the angels of death, and they don't really care about humanity that much. They don't care what the collateral damage is. The sisters, uh, you call do. it the you call it the Space Marines. You basically have called in an airstrike on an area. Yeah, the they, sisters. The yeah, s- sisters are yeah. They they don't waste people. They will f- they will feed the hungry. They will clothe those that don't. They will offer shelter. They'll bring them back. They'll do whatever they can to define uh, defend the bastions of humanity. The only space marine chapter that has ever shown that is the salamanders, um, and the salamanders and sisters get along for a reason. Um, 
So, yeah, that is a very long answer to your one question, Corez, uh, but also not nearly long enough. We could probably sit here and expound on this one alone for hours. I could talk <laughs> about the Horus Heresy for days. Absolutely. Like, quite frankly, the Horus Heresy is one of the most fascinating things to happen. Also one of the largest book series to ever exist. I think it's up to 60 some odd books right now. Um, you also sent another question that I want to get to because it does tie in a little bit with this as well. Um, there are many Chaos Space Marine Legions, but little Chaos Xenos armies. I know there's some Chaos Orcs. Why not a Slanesh Eldari or Nurgle Necrons? Actually, that's a fun bit. This is an old bit of lore that not necessarily has been retconned, but has been kind of left to the side. So chaos used to be able to infect everything, literally everything. Uh, you'll see that chaos demons can inhabit war engines or uh, machines, tanks, mechs, things like that. They also used to be able to infect Necrons. The very first Necron model was back during the rogue trader era of books where it was literally called chaos robot. <laughs> it was a robot that looked exactly like a Necron before Necrons were really conceived that had fallen to chaos and fought against the Imperium. Orcs very much the same way. So the best comparison I can give for folks is in WoW, you know how you have the, the fell-touched orcs, you have the red orcs that are, you know, serving the their, their, their dark master, they're being experimented on uh, as a result of the wishes of one Illidan Stormrage. Well, that's kind of what happens in 40k as well. Matt talked about Korn, who is basically the god of blood and warfare as far as chaos gods go. He loves orcs, and orcs kind of love him because orcs generally, their society is based off of whoever is the biggest and most fightiest is the leader. So now you have a god like that's similar to theirs, similar to Gork and or Mork, which that's a whole other podcast. Um but rewards warfare and being strong and being a, a, a conquest, right? Being a, a, a one that, that conquers, being a conqueror. There have been several instances throughout the history, even in the books now, where they talk about worlds of orcs that have fallen to chaos. And it is one of the scariest things that you could possibly imagine. For context, orcs are a race that is believed to have been created specifically to fight the Tyranids, thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago by a race called the old ones or the first ones that seeded the universe. Sound familiar? Uh, with various races like the Eldar or, or sorry, the Eldari now um, in order to sort of fight the great devourer. Orcs are latent psychic creatures that if they believe something to be true, if enough of them believe it, it becomes true. They also happen to be fungus, but again, that's a whole other story. So, if they believe that the color purple makes them sneakier and enough of them believe it, then the color purple actually makes them sneakier. If they believe that the color red makes things go faster, then it makes it go faster. If they believe that they will never run out of bullets in a gun, they will never run out of bullets. Now combine that with chaos influence. That becomes a very dangerous, very, very scary thing. And in those particular cases, it is not uncommon to see one, the Death Watch get called in, and two, the Inquisition to get called in as well, because now you're dealing with forces beyond just a Xenos invasion, but you still need to deal with the Xenos invasion. Uh, it is absolutely insane. Uh, and as for I beings like Necrons, I'll be up front with Necrons. The Necrons don't give a fig for chaos. No. Or anything. Although, the Necrons are the survivors of beings who are older than the you know than anybody, older than the Eldar. Old, they were so old that they knew the Satan as like star gods. Beings, they, you know, as yeah, as star gods. The Yingir is what they were called. Yeah. So the Necron were effectively convinced by the uh, the Satan to give up their organic life forms, their organic nature, and to become kind of like undead robots. Mm -hmm. And that's what they are. They call the Necrodermis, by the way. Yeah, and it's. I don't, I don't even know how to explain how terrible the Necrons are. Like, they just don't care. But they hate the warp. Yeah, they hate the warp. They hate so psychic the, energy. So there's no, there's no way that, that chaos has got a lot to offer to them. Their inherent nature is astonishingly non-chaotic. They hate the warp. 
They hate the chaos gods and they hate life. Like all living things. Mm-hmm. They hate every single one of them. Uh, <clears throat> so they don't really serve chaos up to them. If, if they get their way, everything will be dead. But in terms of their will, their, their, their willpower, it is unshakable. Uh, Grey Knights wish they were as single purposed as the Necron. So it's, it's not, you, you can't offer them anything. You can't bribe them with anything. You can't trick them. In, you know, they've already been tricked. They've already suffered the ultimate trip. Now they won't trust anyone. Mm-hmm. And all they want is to render everything like them. So they're not tremendously susceptible to chaos. Um, whereas as, as Joe pointed out, corn is like a, a, a orc God who actually gives you stuff. Wow. You brought you know, me 10, do- you brought me 10 dozen skulls here. Let me give you an ax hand. Yeah. Like seriously, the, the, he, he's their relationship with corn is very much like, you know, that if you want to think of it this way, he's like the uncle that, that takes the kids to a shooting range. And you're like, you took my kid to a shooting range. He's five. Oh, he handled the 22 just fine. That's kind of how corn is with the, with the orcs. It's like, you know, Hey, I can't help, but notice you, you guys are kind of completely insane. I like that about you. Have you considered dominating all life? You have. That's great. Yeah, let me explain all the different ways you can do it. That's that's what corn is. He he is he is tickled pink by the orcs' exuberance. Yeah, let's say. Um, but yeah, the the Necrons, no way. Um, the Eldar. Well, that um, one's actually. I want to talk about that a little bit because that's hey, interesting. Go for it. Go for it. So, did you know that the reason that Slanesh, one of the four gods of chaos, exists in the first place, is because of the Eldar? So, the Eldar sort of being this space elf race, or I'm sorry, the Eldari now, um, where they were very long lived. They had nothing to really care about. Uh, mankind had not crawled from its cradle yet. Uh, the war in heaven with, uh, which was against from the Necrons and the old ones fighting each other was long since gone. Uh, proto orcs were m- more dormant and now smaller and not much of a concern. So they sort of gave in to uh, this, some of them at least, a pure dedication to indulgence and excess. Uh, and we're talking like everything that you can think of in there. I'm not going to go into too much detail because y'all can fill in the blanks. Um, because they were also a latently psychic race, that's what started to give birth to Slanesh. Slanesh began to coalesce. And as that sort of entity was being born, it fed upon the unchecked collective psyche of the Eldari, drawing on their lust, drawing on their ambitions, uh, their pursuit for excellence and purity of of all things, and eventually was born. And when that god was born, when Eldar died, when Eldari died, it would consume their souls to sustain itself. Uh, This is back during the 30th millennia when this started to happen. So Eldari have things called soul stones. The reason they have soul stones is to trap the souls of uh, their race that are are dying so that Slanesh cannot eat them. So if you want to talk in, in the original, very original Dark Eldar back during when they were introduced uh, years and years and years ago, were devoted to Slanesh and were voted, devoted to feeding Slanesh. So there has always been a tie between the two, between Chaos and the Eldari, uh, because without the Eldari, Slanesh would not exist. And now I'm going to shut up and let Matt talk. I mean, you pretty much covered everything. I was just going to talk about the Drukhar. Okay. Um, the Drukhari, um, the Dark Ones, you know, Dark Eldar. Uh, the Drukhari are interesting because not only because they worked for uh, Slanesh, but also because they're not. It's 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 very much like a philosophical difference. They they don't they don't they don't have a problem with each other, but they hate each other. But they hate each other in the way that two people who just really can't agree on the way the world should be hate each other. Uh, Slanesh to the to the to the Drakari is is who they worship, but they don't worship her like the way that you might think of. It's very much like, hey, why don't you eat those guys? We'd like you to eat them. My, and my like my iPad thinks that I'm talking to it. Um, <laughs> but but seriously, like the the Drakari, the the Dark Eldar. Um, they're, they don't want their souls to get eaten by her any more than anybody else does. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to them, Slanesh is female. She who thirsts. Um, so it, it's, it's propitiation. It's not servitude. It's, you know, how about we give you those guys? So 
that's that's why it's a little different than like the chaos space marines they, they're not in it for chaos they're in it because they want to point the chaos somewhere other than it themselves if that makes sense um i know that doesn't really matter in terms of like why someone's you know you're getting killed by them it doesn't really matter why but they are very much they stay they stay eldar or eldari sorry while they're being the drakari yes they they stay and- what they are and even now, like the, it's been changed to what Matt's been talking about. The Drakari uh, or Dark Eldar, Dark Eldari at this point are on the side of order. They go about it differently, but they actually are helping mankind in the war against chaos. In the way that the story's been advancing, because for the first time over the last ten years, uh, well, actually for the last five years, the story has actually begun advancing with the fall of Cadia and, and a whole bunch of other stuff that's been going on. The return of Primarchs from the time of the Horus Heresy that have disappeared are starting to resurface, and the story is advancing for the first time in, in decades. Um, but they are the reason that Robert Gulliman is actually back and functional in space. He was in stasis after being dealt a mortal wound. Uh, it was the Dark Eldar who helped develop the suit that has him ambulatory now. The Dark Eldar, the Drakari, are also helping to fix the Golden Throne upon which the Emperor sits, where it is guarding the Cradle of Humanity against the Webway entrance that would let Chaos bust into the the Cradle of Humanity. Um, They're helping with that. They know what's at stake. They know what's at stake more than anything else. They just happen to be more warlike and more ready to fight than their Eldari, uh, Eldari brethren who are busy mostly trying to go out to the universe and reseed planets with the souls of their race to re you know, to have the repopulation of their race out there versus, you know, just maintaining right. Or versus fighting back versus risking anything. And some of that will change. Some of that potentially will change as time goes on, but it's just fascinating. It's fascinating to see these, what we're called dark Raiders or we're called like a scourge of humanity and living sentient beings are actually, in the fight, they're actually helping or trying to help. Um, the only other Xenos race that really is out there that I, that we can talk about right now until Leagues of Votan are released, which are basically squats, um, space dwarves. Back in the olden days, there were absolutely chaos squats. There were chaos space dwarves. Um, it's the Tyranids, which is probably one of the chief and and, and like the stereotypical Xenos race. They're very much like the uh, Xenomorph from Alien, but more. They are basically called the Great Devourer. They're they're servants of this entity that wants to consume the entire universe and fold it into its biomass. They don't care about the warp. They are a hive mind. Like I'm saying, the Chaos Gods are nothing to them. The uh, Chaos means nothing. The Demons of Chaos are just as much food to them as anything. Not food, but... Um, well, warp stuff is not is not the Tyranids don't sustain themselves on it. They can't. It's not real to them. It doesn't provide biomass. It doesn't mm-hmm. provide what they need. So when the demons show up and they want to like play and be chaotic and all that and change the world, and the the Tyranid are like, no, you're ruining this. Get out or we'll destroy you. Except they don't even offer. They just start destroying them. The two fight. Um, they are incompatible with each other. Uh, I wouldn't say the Tyranid are orderly, but they hate chaos. Well, they hate chaos because it takes their food away from them is really what it boils down to. Yeah, right? it's it's exactly they, t- to them. It's honestly, if you think of it this way, it's like if you have if somebody has simultaneously been poisoned, it also has really bad cancer. Uh, the cancer might not like the poison because the poison is killing the body before the cancer can do it. That's kind of what the Tyranid versus the 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 uh, demons is like there. There is another Xenos race that I think we should talk about as well, uh, because their relationship with the universe at whole is weird, and we're kind of running out of time. So the Tyranids are essentially, we don't care, we're going to eat everything. Uh, are, like That's what they do. There's also the Tau. The Tau are, is essentially like, I don't really know how to, they're extremely orderly. They have no psychic ability whatsoever. They don't want to touch the warp. Their faster than light travel is not based off of the warp travel at all. It's based off of hyperdrive engines that they have created is high, highly scientific and very not a dogmatic Xenos race at all. However, there are subsections of, of what they bring in because they will accept 
any race into their society, as long as it fights for the greater good. There are human defectors or human uh, colonies that are devoted to the, the Tao Empire, where they could potentially be susceptible to uh, the taint of chaos, but the Tao in general are not. They just ignore it, for lack of a better term. There's nothing for chaos to latch on to. And even if they were to try to do that, um, well, <laughs> it just wouldn't take. So do you have anything to say about the Tau, besides the fact that they're basically giant Gundam warriors? Um, well, I mean, they, they remind me of the Zentradi. Uh, but <sighs> I think that the, uh, the Tau are kind of interesting because the humans that have joined the Tau, the human seps, uh, are considered super traitors uh, by the Imperium of Man. They're just heretics. They should be, they want to be, they want to exterminate them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the tower very, uh, the tower very offensive to the uh, <clears throat> Imperium. And it's only about 6,000 or so years since the uh, Inquisitors first noted the tower. Uh, yeah, because they're just so, outside of the uh, Ultramar system. They're just outside yeah. the, the range and of the Ultramarines. The past few thousand years, they've gone from, you know, we, we've just mastered fire to we, we have hyperdrive. Um their technology is actually pretty impressive. Uh, it's it's actually better than the Imperial technology at this point, despite the fact that the Imperium is much, 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 much older. Um, possibly, possibly this is because of the Tau's complete lack of any connection to the warp and to the Chaos Gods. Because the Tau are not unfeeling or robotic. They're simply, I would say they're more mechanistic, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. Like they see the universe as, as it, they see that the universe, to them, the universe should be devoid of direct influence by the warp and chaos. Chaos has a part of life. It's a part of order. It's a part of the, of existence, but it shouldn't have, the demon shouldn't be here. None of this stuff should be here. And the Tao issue it. Like it, it's, it's not part of how they want the cosmos to, to, to work. It's not part of their worldview. So that, that would be all I'd really throw in there. I, I'd also might mention the old gods, but I mean the old ones, but we don't really know much about them. So the only thing we do know, and there's, there's actually, the problem with 40k is there was a point in time where uh, years and years and years ago, Warhammer Fantasy and Warhammer 40,000 were branches of the same tree. Um, this has been since completely redone so that they are two separate universes that do not touch. Uh, but there was a race in there is a race in Warhammer Fantasy, or in this case, Age of Sigmar that is thought to have been at least related to the old ones in 40 K as well, uh, which is the Seraphon who serve their lizard men essentially, but they serve what are called Slon mages, which are essentially ones that were taught by the old ones. They're giant frog wizards. I know it gets weird folks, but they're basically giant frog wizards that can travel through space and time. And as a result of this, there is a belief that in the original, the very, very original uh, Warhammer 40,000 lore, the Slon that was referred to as the old ones were the same entities, um, just sort of many generations removed. But the old ones were very much like the first ones in WoW, where we believe that they seeded the universe. Um, They went through and created most of the races that exist nowadays. They were all tailor-built for specific purposes, um, but the orcs were made to be the combating arm against the devourer. They were stronger, faster, smarter, more militant. They've devolved over time, but that's what they were created for. The Eldari were supposed to be the psychic warrior branch of what they were created in their defense network of systems, where they were supposed to be the ultimate warriors against that side of chaos. Um, and then their battle and ongoing with the, the Necrons and particularly the Catan or Satan, however you want to pronounce it, uh, waged, that's why it was called the war in, war in heavens, uh, way raged against the, the cosmos far away from humanity eons before humans crawled out of the primordial ocean. Um, it's, it's fascinating because there were, they're referred to a lot and there's been hints recently that the silent King and the collector might actually have one in stasis because we still don't know what happened during that time frame. Because even though we are in the age of darkness, we, we know of the age of darkness. We know of the current decline of humanity in the grim dark future. That is Warhammer 40,000. We know Warhammer 30,000 where the Horus heresy happened. We know very little about what happened in the universe before that the Eldar aren't talking. The orcs don't exactly keep records. 
the Tyranids aren't going to talk to you. They're going to try to eat you and turn you into like a Hormagon or something like that. Um, and the Dark Eldar or the Drakari don't care. That's not their thing. They only care about survival right now and, and dealing with the here and now. So it's a, it's an interesting potential tidbit that I'm hoping that they're going to start poking at later because, again, the story is advancing. One of the fallen Primarchs is going to be coming back. Uh, it is going to be Angron of the Word Bearers, or I'm sorry, the uh, World Eaters. Um, he's coming back, which means the story is going to be moving forward, and we have no idea what that means yet. Oh, man. Sorry, that was only two questions for, uh, for 40K. We still have more left, but we're running out of time here. So I'll kick it over to Matt. Is there anything else you want to add to anything we talked about? No, I think we're, we're good. I think for right now, at least. Um, I Quite frankly, I don't think we're going to get on to Tetsumi's question. We're not. Absolutely not. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for us. Hopefully you enjoyed that episode and a little bit of a glimpse into uh, the large world that is the Warhammer universe. Again, Matt and I, we will talk about anything. You send them in. Um, if you have questions for this podcast or any of our podcasts, be sure you send them in. Send them to the podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Specify the show it's for. You can also hit us up on Discord for our Patreon Q and podcast questions for our Patreon supporters. Again, uh, Corey, thank you for sending them in there. And our Q and podcast questions, uh, if you don't have Patreon or can't support us there and don't want to send in a, an email, we're more than happy to get them as there. And as a reminder, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch which your continued support means this podcast, our site, and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. And again, a big thank you to all of our supporters. We could not do this without you. These, these shows would not exist if it wasn't for you. And one last reminder before we part ways here, folks. All of us at Blizzard Watch do continue to stand with the employees of Activision Blizzard as well as all other game companies uh, as they work to unionize and try to guarantee not only their future, but a safe and productive and fair work environment. But with that, folks, we'll see you next week.